Hello and welcome to the Crying Burns Calories podcast. I'm your host, Katie Saltzman, personal trainer, nutrition coach, entrepreneur, creator, and expert in teaching women how to take back control of their health, their mindset, and their happiness. Most of you know me as a nutrition coach, but this podcast and this platform is going to be so much more. This is a place where I want to be able to talk about it all. Yes, of course, health and fitness, but also relationships, social media, adulting, hormones, just life. I want this podcast to cover all the ups and downs, and I want you to know that you're not alone. Ultimately, I'm here to give you the confidence to break through what's holding you back, to embrace who you fully are and show up authentically in life. Because life is messy. It's not perfect and it's not meant to be. So grab your wine, a drink, or if you're like me, that chocolate or that ice cream, because it's time to take our stories and the things we go through and make them our superpower. It's time to laugh, cry, learn, and understand that we are all in this together. So let's dive in. I can't wait for you to dive into this episode and listen to what our next guest has to say because I know she's going to resonate with so many of you. Her name is Danny, and I've known Danny for about four years now because she was also in the fitness industry in Detroit. And what initially drew me to her was her ability to just be so open, honest, and vulnerable about real life topics that we are all dealing with. She also has this like amazing freaking sense of humor that just lightens it all up. In this episode, we peel back the onion on so many things. We talk about infertility, addiction, body image issues, and just being a woman. This is a real come with me podcast that I know all of you are just going to absolutely hit home with. I can't wait for you to listen. Let us know what you think. All right. I am super excited about today's guest. She's been a friend of mine for a while. Her and I met randomly at an event, I don't know, three to four years ago, a place called Clean Juice. They were hosting an influencer. I wouldn't even have considered myself an influencer. Influencer event, Katie. (laughs) I say that like quotation marks because it was barely an (laughs) event, but we met there and then realized we had some connections and friends together. And yeah, that's, that's how our relationship started, but I'm really excited about her because she, she has an amazing story and I'm, I've always been really drawn to her. I actually followed her page for a long time before I met her. It's making me sound creepy now, but I (laughs) have always been drawn to her because she's very open. She's very vulnerable. She's very authentic. That was something that I struggled with for so long. So I remember watching her content and being like, gosh, like I would give anything to just be able to do that and to be in a spot now where I am showing up more authentic in life and who I am and to be able to sort of reconnect with her and have these conversations is really cool. So Danny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Tell everybody a little bit about you and who you are. Oh my gosh. First of all, I feel like I'm over here doing the church nod. When you you ever done that, you're just like, "Mm, mm," that feeling. (laughs) The church nod. Yeah. Yeah. The church nod, you make the weird voice, uh, little noises. Yeah. No, I'm so excited too. And thanks for asking me to come on here and share this part of my my story and my journey. So I'm Danny, uh, Danny Dudek Harrison. I formerly, like Katie mentioned, was in the fitness industry. So, you know, I did everything that 
every struggling fitness person does, you know, worked at the one-on-one training, went all the way to Orange Theory, did that, opened up a bunch of other studios, and then kind of landed in that weird influencer, quote unquote, position, right? Which still I laugh at to this day. My work friends now will always be like, well, Danny is an influencer. But yeah, I, I'm really excited to, to come and chat. My life today is very, very different from that life. And really something interesting that happened to me was Instagram deleted my account like two years ago. So this account that I had worked on so hard was one day just gone. <laughs> and crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was super wild. I logged in and then it logged me back out. And then there it was. It was gone for good. You were and never able to get back in. No, never. Only recently did they like re-release my name. And so I've changed it back to Danny Dudek only because it was how people knew how to follow me and find me. So I just put it back to that. Uh, I don't know why, because I don't really give a shit anymore. But it was like, yeah, I I had that crazy canceled feeling. (laughs) And it was hard because so much of my life was on there. Um, My fitness journey was just like only a little part of the story that I told there for the last eight, nine years. A lot of that had to do with an abusive marriage. A lot of it had to do with addiction. Most of it had to do with addiction, actually, which is how I found it so funny that they considered me a fitness influencer. Because unlike everybody actually influencing in fitness, there wasn't a single video or informational piece about fitness on my page. It was all about addiction. But I happened to work out a lot and was a trainer. And so I got lumped into this like fitness influencer thing. But when that happened, at first, I cried a lot because I had spent so much time I'd spent a lot of money on it. Um, and I part of your identity into it too. Yeah. It, well, it was, it was who I was. And what I realized after it got deleted was that I wasn't actually a real person anymore. I had become this living, breathing, walking version of Danny Dudek on Instagram. And I didn't do anything authentically either. And I didn't know how to, and it was very freeing for it to be deleted. I felt really good about it after a while. And I, you know, I went from, I had an account of my old uh, personal that had like 200 family friends. And I just started posting little things about my life on there, but I just stopped caring about it. And I still don't really care about it today. I mean, it's cool. It's there. I share some things. I, re- I recently deleted everything actually on purpose because I felt like I was reading it the other day. I was going through my, my posts that have been up there since like the last year and a half. And every one of them made me annoyed by myself. I was reading it and it seemed so desperate. Please like this photo. Like everything seemed so inauthentic that I just deleted the whole thing. I deleted all the content. And so now it's empty. So if you go to my Instagram and it's empty, that's why. Because I'm, I'm just going to start fresh with a new perspective right now. That's only going to be shit that's real about me. And I'm just, I'm done sharing the lies, you know? Yeah. So, isn't it crazy? Like what happens when life takes away like these safety nets for us? Like for mm-hmm. me, it was when I moved here and then had all my stuff taken, like, you don't realize how much of your identity is attached to materialistic things. Yeah. And you don't even really know what to do outside of that. And in the moment, it's like the most horrific thing. I mean, I'm a crier. So I cried like every <laughs> single day yeah. in January, but then it's brought this like insane season of growth, which is mm-hmm. amazing. But when you're going through that hard part, it's like so hard to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it was Exactly that. And I didn't even know how much I relied on just my ability to use Instagram when I wasn't comfortable or when I needed validation. You know, if I just was having a day and I needed to feel good about myself, I would throw up something there. And even if it was an informational piece about, you know, abuse, I was in an abusive marriage, addiction, I, you know, struggle with alcoholism still to this day. 
just the people and the codependency that I experienced from that feedback was fueling so much of my self-worth. And I, I don't know, I had this really weird, empty feeling after it, but I was like, okay, but like, who, who actually are you, you know? And I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm grateful, like super grateful that it was deleted and I didn't try to fight for it anymore. Like I did for a couple of months and then I said, you know, fuck it. I'm over it. This isn't, this is meant to be gone. Let's become who we are. And let's, let's be very clear. I don't think that within the next couple of months or year, I had this super authentic change of self. Like there was no transformation that took place in the following months. And I think only now after what I've gone through, what we're going to share a little bit, have I actually felt for the first time, okay, I am who I am supposed to be like, I'm in the right spot. And I am authentically me today. That might change next week. But like today, I'm showing up as me now. Yeah, you know, And it's also like, maybe like whatever you believe in, but like maybe the universe was like, sort of like open creating space in your life because Mm -hmm. it knew that you had greater things to tackle. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm excited to share whatever is supposed to be shared there again. I don't know what it is yet though. So, yeah. So I wanted to bring Danny on. I mean, her story again, what she's been through with like abuse and sobriety and just, I think body image issues you talked about a lot in the Mm -hmm. fitness industry. And then you've sort of transitioned into this next phase in your life where you got married. How long have you been married for? It'll be a year in July. A year in July. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got married and you're trying to get pregnant and you're having a journey of infertility. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because I think it's not talked about enough. I mean, people Mm -hmm. are talking about infertility, but like the deep struggles behind it Mm -hmm. and the body image issues it brings and the the things it brings up that you didn't even know that you would deal with. It's what I really want to talk about. So tell me a little bit about your journey with infertility and then where you're at today. Yeah, for sure. So I have been one of those people and not everybody's like this, which is something that I didn't know that has wanted to have a child since I was like 17, like not in a, and even when I was younger, you know, I think I would say that to my, my parents, like, I can't wait to get married and have kids. And I'm talking in high school, I would say this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think for a parent now, like being a 35 year old woman, that's a, like a little alarming. Like, I wonder what deep rooted issue is driving you to want to get married when you're 17 years old, but that's a whole different therapy session. Right. But I <laughs> wanted to, I guess <laughs> that's like, holy shit, we're going in. I wanted to be a mom for a really long time. So, you know, I have been in relationships where I've tried to get pregnant before it didn't work. And I just thought that was because, you know, I didn't really try, try. It was just like, I'm off birth control. Let's do this. Yeah, It wasn't intentional Um, trying. Yeah. And I also thought because we are always so afraid of getting pregnant that it would be this really simple thing. Like it would be very easy to get pregnant and some people it is. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people it's not right. Of course, I'm the person with the sister who got pregnant on accident at 30 when she didn't want kids. And I'm like stuffing a cupcake into my face at her baby shower, literally like this can't be real life, you know, but it's been me all the time. I've wanted to have kids. I've wanted to, you know, get married and it's no secret. I've done that before also. So it's like, it just, it was almost like a cruel, I don't want to say cruel, but it was, I had a fear of what if I can't get pregnant from the time I was like 22 or 23. And I would think about that all the time. And in my, what like rooted that fear? I don't know. I think it may be because I'm adopted. So I, I don't, I haven't like kind of really figured that out and developed that yet, but 
I think it was just the thought of like, I grew up as a child of adoption. I have a wonderful relationship with my family and my parents and a relationship with my adoptive or my birth mother. But I felt the difference of what my birth mother felt to my adoptive mother. There is a disconnect, at least for me. So it was, and that could just be because my personality is so different from my mom's personality. We did not have, I'm talking about my adoptive mom. We did not have a super close knit tight relationship. Like you and your mom, I feel like are very close. A lot of, you know, moms and daughters are very, very close. I love my mom and she loves me so much, but we aren't the best friends that go do things together. Right. Yeah. And so I think growing up, I had this fear of like, what if I can't give birth and I have to adopt? And then I have a child that feels that way about me and I will be so heartbroken about that. So it started way too young than it should have. And then, you know, as the years went by, I was in serious relationships where I didn't care if I get pregnant or not. We were committed to one another. We're not together now, but that's, that's how desperate I was to have kids. I was like, I don't really care. We can do this, you know? And to be honest, when my husband, yeah, let's just say whatever, you know, if it happens, we're adults, we can afford it. We can do this together. And to be honest, when my husband and I started dating three years ago, that is what we, we did. We did not ever not try to have children. We, from the second, we didn't try, but we did not try, you know? Yeah. You weren't on birth control. You weren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been, it's been probably seven or eight years since I've been on birth control. So we went into it, our relationship just being, we were longtime friends and we just thought, Hey, if we have a baby, we have a baby. This probably sounds like the most irresponsible thought process, but at the same time, we You're agreed. Also 35. And, <laughs> we're yeah, 21. We, it, yeah. Right. We were, we were, yeah. Yeah. I, know, yeah. I was probably 33 or 32 and he was 33. So we never ever had any protection methods at all in yeah. the entire relationship. And then about a year into that, I decided that it wasn't feeling right. So let's start tracking my ovulation. And now let's start actually trying to have a child. Like, are you cool with that? Let's like really put effort into this. And that in and of itself is awful. Like people don't talk about that enough. They don't talk about how degrading it is for the man to be only used for sex, essentially, because it's the time I peed in this cup, the cup sits next to your toilet on the floor. It's just gross. Also, like if you're not in the mood either, you're like forcing yourself to have sex. Right. And like, and I'll, yeah. And I'll talk about that too. And more because, you know, as you get more into it, you're never in the mood. Like you're just never in the mood. Yes. (laughs) and it's required and and it's crippling it really is so I'll come back to that but yeah it we went into a a year more of that right so now we're at two years with no protection no any you know methods to stop it and so I finally started seeing a doctor in Utah and I picked this doctor that was recommended to me and Utah if you know nothing about it is a lot of young 21 year old girls getting married that go to an infertility doctor after they've tried for six months and they can't get pregnant. Right. So I'm 34 at this time. I go to this doctor. He says nothing to me about my blood work, tests nothing, gives me two bottles of pills, sends me on my way. Test your blood work, your hormones, nothing, nothing. And I didn't know, right. I, that's another thing is you, when you go on test your hormones, Right. Yeah. And I just didn't think about that. I don't know why, because I was just so nervous and this was such a huge thing. First time. Yeah. But you'll, if you talk to other, like I'm in all these support groups, right. (laughs) And nobody does. I mean, it's very rare to find a doctor that is going to help you with infertility that educates you on what you're about to go through because you are money to them, unfortunately. And so, yeah, long story short, gave me a bunch of pills. We did that for an entire, well, not a whole year, a nine month period. 
didn't, there was no success there. And we did in vitro or not in vitro, um, what's it called? Insemination. So IUI is what they call artificial insemination. Now I did two of those. And then I had gotten to a place where I just couldn't do it anymore. So right now, uh, or since November, it's been on a pause and now I'm seeing a new doctor here, but that's kind of the high level of what has happened so far. Do you feel like there is an insensitivity to it? Like with, with women, like it's become so common that you go in there, it's such a sensitive topic for you and you're just sort of treated like, well, this is what you do and this is how it is. And, and like, this is so from a personal aspect, I, like I lost a pregnancy and I bled for like 50 days after like a ridiculous amount. My body was pretending that it was still giving birth while it wasn't. And it had nothing else to do. My uterus was still contracting blood for 50 days. They put me on bed rest. They still would not test my hormone levels after that. It's so weird to me. And they told me and to I, take iron pills and they, they just, I had to go to a functional doctor to be able to test my hormones and just pay out of pocket for it. And I'm like, like something is off and we know this as females, but there is an mm-hmm. insensitivity to it. Yeah. I, I just think it's like, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, you're struggling. You've come to me, listen to what I have to sell you and, you know, get on out of here. I mean, I, the doctor that I was seeing legitimately would like pat me on the shoulder and he'd be like, Hey, see you next month. Go get pregnant which is like the most insensitive thing you can say to somebody that has been trying to get pregnant for two years. And, and it only got worse, like everything I would ask. And I will say too, before I go further, I am not one of the people that got really into the medical side of this process, because it was too overwhelming for me. Like, I know a lot of women that have gone through several cycles of IVF and all of this shit. I am not that strong. I don't know how they do it and how they keep it together. Or if they just have a part of them that can like, set emotions from logic. And and if they do like send me a a pamphlet because I need it, but like, I was so wrapped up emotionally in the process of it that like, I, I didn't really research, you know, people learn, they research and they know what's happening going into it. I just went in and listened and did what they said and then came back and did what they said and, you know, had sex every other day for 20 days, like shoot me. And then it didn't work. And then I would have a nervous breakdown, you know, Yeah. (laughs) but they wouldn't. That was like a, it was like a protocol every other day for 20 days. Yeah. I mean, God, it was awful. And like, I love my husband, but like neither of us wanted to have sex. (laughs) Don't even look at me or touch me. (laughs) And it was more so like, I could, I could like mentally get in the zone to be like, this is a task. Okay. It's a task. This is our job. Yeah. This is lock and load, baby. Lock and load. But that's not how men are. Men have, um, and it's interesting because it's like, I wish that they, the men would talk about this more because it is, it is a lot on a relationship and a marriage. And our marriage has never been in a harder spot than it is right now. If I'm being totally transparent and, you know, men are very functional on the emotions of sex. Women are functional on, I I feel for the most part, the connection of what sex brings men are motivated by the passion, the feeling, right? And if you have someone tapping you on the shoulder, being like, hey, when we get off this Zoom call, can we go like, you know, like it's time. I need you to get it up, buddy. Let's go. (laughs) If you just want to jerk off into a tube, I can base it in there. Like that's the desperation that you get to because it's so, and then you're doing all kinds of, we've got one of those big ones, big Thanksgiving basters, just put it in there, you know, and yeah, it, it, I actually listened to a podcast that Kelly Stafford did about about her and Matthew's 
first attempt of getting pregnant when they ended up getting pregnant with the twins. And I hadn't realized how much effect it had on my husband until listening to her say it out loud. And I, I think they don't know how to support you at all. They don't know how to get into your body and your feelings. And then there's a lot of anger right back at them because you're like, okay, like, how can you not be feeling so much pain? And they're like, because I'm physically not in pain. I'm not like you are, and I'm trying to help. But yeah, the, the insensitivity to what this couple is dealing with all around is so insane and so intense. And they don't, for the most part, they don't really look at you as a human being trying to produce a human being. They look at you as a body that's going to have a baby. Yeah. Like it, that's how I felt at least. It was like, here's, here's the magic stuff. Go ahead. And if you come back next week, I'll adjust some things until it works. Not like, how are you doing? You know? Yeah. How, how are you mentally, physically, emotionally? Which was poor. I mean, like the poorest you could even Which imagine. Is, I am <laughs> unwell. I am unwell. I had like physical symptoms of postpartum depression because I was on so many hormones, which I now found out should never be prescribed together. So I was given two different types of medications that they don't normally prescribe together. And I mean, I, and I would even put in these mom groups, do you guys feel like disconnected from your entire existence and even your clothes and your, your, your husband? And they were like, I mean, I felt sad, but not like that, you know? (laughs) So I'm over here. Then, then you're on all these drugs. So you're like, this this isn't funny, but just the way you're putting it. So, so, so you feel like, I mean, were other people having these experiences too, or do you feel like yours was like, like the doctor you went to was not supportive at all in any way. I think that guy is a quack. I mean, he gets everybody pregnant because he loads them up with pills. And again, the population that we're talking about at this specific doctor, and I'll say his name, Dr. McCarter in Provo, Utah, horrible. I would never go to him if you are over the age of 23. Like, yeah. It's not and as, it's not the same for a 23 year old. No, no. When you're dealing with a 23, 21 to 23 year old that whose hormones are working perfectly like body hasn't gone through stress or trauma yet. When we're dealing with women in their thirties who have had traumatic experiences, who are struggling with stress or anxiety or Mm -hmm. unbalanced hormones over an extended period of time, also rounds Mm -hmm. of birth control. Typically girls that young haven't been on birth control that long. We're dealing with all of this stuff. Like you're you're talking about a different body. Right. And these were also Mormon religious girls. So they were never sexually active until they got married for the most part. Now I shouldn't say all of them, right? Of course, there's probably some non LDS people in the state of Utah. If your parents are listening, you weren't sexually active. You weren't sexually active. We get it. Your temple recommends stands. Okay. But yeah, it's abstinence worked for all of us. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. I don't know. It was, it was wild. And I did all the tests you know, and they still have no idea what, I mean, I did all the tests after like they, that they were recommending where they put the dye in your uterus and that's really painful. So if anybody tells you, you know, if you're going into that, that's something it's, it's, it's interesting. And it would, yeah, we just couldn't kind of figure it out, but did they ever test me for PCOS? No. Did they ever test me for endometriosis? No. You know, so it's hardest things to get tested for, but one of the biggest reasons Right. And so they, they said shit to me, like, well, did you ever have an STD? And I'm like, I mean, come on, like, probably. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> like we talking ever, because that's going to be a 90%. I like, which one of it hurt me, you know, yeah. it was just like no answers, which leaves you feeling hopeless. And, and then it's a spiral, honestly. Yeah. So yeah. let's shift to like 
talking about the hormones, like the effect mm-hmm. on your body of mm-hmm. hormones. It's, it's funny when we're younger and we're put on birth control and stuff, we don't even think about putting hormones in our body or synthetic mm-hmm. hormones, anything like that. But when you shift to something, an aspect like this, and it's so personally tied to you and then the amount of hormones, like, did you know what to expect? Did anybody even like explain that to you? No, I mean, I taking pills or shots. Do, do they do both? Like I'm very uneducated. Yeah. I'll be honest. No, no. Uh, me too. I just did whatever they said to me. It, I was taking Clomid, which is a, a pill that ovulation. So makes you ovulate more than one egg. Yeah. And then I was taking Primera, which I was told was to thicken the lining of my uterus so that the eggs would then implant and stay right. So that I wouldn't miscarry. I only was given shots when I would do an IUI. So it would trigger the ovulation even more that I would have, I would have weekly or no, I'm sorry, monthly ultrasounds to see how many eggs were coming down. And on average, there was three. So it wasn't like they weren't there. They were ovulating, but they kept increasing the dose of it more. So I think, I think it's like 10 and 50. And by the end of it, I was on like a hundred milligrams of clomid, which is a lot from what I'm told. And I don't even remember what you asked me to say yeah. again. What were like the effects of this on your body? Yeah. Okay. So interestingly <laughs> enough, was, <laughs> I lost. Yeah. Whew. I'm hot. I'm over here, like, you know, fanning myself. Um, there was, there was two parts of it, right? There was the emotional part of me that was little by little changing. I could, yeah, yeah, no, what you asked me is, does anybody tell you about this? No. Right. Because I don't think anybody knows what to expect. And I think it's different for every single person. Two things happened to me emotionally. I became an absolute wreck. These hormones down to like, you couldn't even give me a simple corrective criticism in my workplace. And I would be sitting at my cubicle unconsolable for the rest of the day, two days. It created this intense feeling of emptiness in my body. And in my, I mean, like this odd feeling of literal aching emptiness, like very much like a depression detachment, right. Of, of, from my own self. I didn't know, feel like I was the same person. I didn't know who I could be. And I think too, the month after month after month of failure, doing the one thing that your body is meant to do would just fuel that fire. The other thing that happened was I started feeling intensely maternal. Like I would cry about thoughts about my new child that didn't exist. Like again, to the point where I was unconsolable. Like I I nannied for years before I was ever a trainer. And I worked for this woman who's now one of my closest friends. She was in sales. I'm in sales now. I'm in tech sales. And when I was with the little girl I used to nanny for, she was two months old. And my then boss, when she, when the baby would cry and she was done with her call, she would sprint out of the room and she would be a wreck. Give me the baby. And I was always like, she's fine. She's okay. She's just, you know, hungry or tired, or she's just an infant. Right. And she would physically hurt from this child crying. Well, I one day was sitting up on my office doing a call And I started thinking about what it would be like with my nanny was downstairs with our baby and it was crying. And I started to lose my shit because of this odd switch. Like when you have a baby, everyone tells you that something switches and you just feel something different. I felt that switch even without a child because all of the hormones were in my body to produce the child. So I felt that maternal switch and it was even more alarming because there was nothing to parent. I was just there with these feelings and nothing to nothing to love, nothing to protect. A loss. Yeah. And then it all and then it almost felt like I had lost a child, right? It was I mean it was just so crazy. And then I felt crazy because I was like I actually recorded videos of this and posted it on my Instagram at that time. 
And I looked at those the other day and I was laughing. So I was like, I'm sobbing about a cat chasing a mouse. Like it was if anything, right? Yeah. So that was it. I was like totally a wreck. And then I had this maternal instinct to click on for literally no reason. So it was like defeating as could possibly be. The other aspect was just what my body did. (laughs) So at the time of moving to Utah, I was probably in the best shape of my life. And I was in the best shape of my life without tracking macros, without without thinking about it. And when I say best shape, yeah, I was living, but I was like, I was super little itty bitty. I felt really good. I I didn't have to stuff my face with food to hit a certain number, but I wasn't starving either to maintain my figure and my shape. I was at my body's like really good place. And I finally felt like I could, could detach because I've struggled with eating disorders my whole life. Fitness gave me a controlled eating disorder that I could play off as something healthy and I did that for a really, really long time. And I preached it to people on the internet and I sold it to them and I taught them because I Gave thought I the was- the macros, yeah. yeah. And, and I still, you know, I think it's a great thing for a training tool and it helps, right? But it's like my life could not function unless I did that. So the fact that I was finally free to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or eat a piece of cone of ice cream if I wanted- And, and live in a body you feel good in. And live in a body that I feel good in. I wasn't punishing myself for doing it. I was just alive. But I also looked good and I felt good and I didn't have to just think about it anymore. And then when I started those those hormones, <laughs> that changed really quickly. My body changed really quickly. Something that they don't tell you, and I don't know if that's for everybody, but it did happen for me. I started just carrying weight in my abdominal section and it just got really soft. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and that's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that it went from something that I was it's so naturally hard. carrying. Yeah. And I'm such a body driven person because of my career previously that I was like my pants don't button, but like they fit my legs, but they don't fit my stomach. You know, it was just stuff like that. And it was like a check for sure, where I had to step back and, and say, okay, you have two options here. You can either know that this is happening for a reason and that you want this child and that this is a part of your life, or you can go punish yourself and pretend like you've done something wrong for your body just doing what it's naturally going to do when you start preparing to have a child, right? Yeah. Absolutely. The hard aspect though, because you're already feeling like your body's failing you, uh-huh. it's yeah. aspect, right? And for so sure. then you take that and you're dealing with like mental and emotional instability from hormones, because that's what they're going to do to you. And mm-hmm. then you're dealing with, you know, you're probably having body image issues from the past being triggered, right? Cause your body's changing mm-hmm. and also it's changing so quickly. It's not like it's this happening over an extended period of time. It's like one mm-hmm. day you're feeling good and normal. And a week later you're like, I'm not well. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like, yeah, within a month I had probably gained 15 pounds and, yeah. and that's like I said, I, I just want to keep saying it's okay. It's okay. But I'm going to stop doing that because you, you guys know that I'm, it, that it's okay. Right. But in my mind, I kept having to it's actually not myself. okay when you're going through that though. It's like, yeah, hard. yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, I mean, it, it's, I'm just saying like, it doesn't matter if you're 145 pounds or 155 pounds or yeah. whatever I got up to at the, at the top of the, I don't know. I threw my scales away and I haven't weighed myself in probably a year just because I couldn't do it. They actually weighed me at the doctor's office the other day and I got really upset and was like, Okay, when I come back here next, please don't, don't tell me, me that number. Yeah. Would you have a right to do, by the way? <laughs> People won't think you're weird. It's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and then that coupled with, I, I've struggled with addiction my whole life. And I would say that the biggest thing that this triggered was drinking again. So I've, I've been sober on and off for years. And 
when I say on and off, I mean very on and off, right? I am no queen at this, but I couldn't think of anything else to do at that point. I wasn't able to connect to virtually anything in my life. And I felt like a safety net. Yeah, I just couldn't go through anymore. So I go back into that and that changed my body a lot too, obviously. But yeah, it, 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 when I got to the end of it, I guess like November time is when I had to decide like, okay, now that you're going to try to recover, I, you know, stopped drinking in January. Another thing is don't drink when you're trying to get pregnant. It doesn't help soccer, but I had to say, okay, am I going to love myself now? Like who this is today that has to buy the bigger size leggings, but has a different body even though it didn't produce a baby, am I still going to love myself right now? Or am I now going to go back into what you and I are very familiar with, which is the punishment mode? It didn't work. So let's beat the shit out of ourselves. And what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your body? Yeah. And then revenge body, right? Like, okay, well, fine. I'm not going to be a mom. So I'm just going to go get my abs back. And I'm just going to go track my macros. And I'm going to, you know, take orange theory classes. And then I'm going to go to a workout. It's like, no, I can't do that. Which and is also, so many women are going through right now. I think it's cool that you're talking about it because we do it without even thinking about it. It's like, okay, all of this stuff is out of control in my life. So let me try and control the one thing that I know I can, which is my body. But that ends up really working against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Well, and I'm an, ad- I'm an addict in all things, right? Like yeah. you could take away alcohol from me and guess what? The second I got sober, I became a personal trainer. And when I became a personal trainer, I was about to be the best damn trainer you could find. And I was going to become an influencer because back in the beginning of it, I did want to be an influencer so bad. Right. And I paid money for people to look at my posts that I never made money off of. Right. Like I am an addict in all things. So I 100%, I had to step back and say, what is healthy? Like, are you, do you want to be healthy now? And, and to look at myself as a beautiful, stunning individual that had nothing to do with my face and nothing to do with my body. And just was the person that I am. And and that sounds so cheesy and corny when you're on the outside, but like legitimately, I think this really helped me say, no, like you're wonderfully and beautifully made. Like you're an incredible existence, you know? What do you feel like, like for women that are struggling with that right now, what do you feel like are the things that helped you step into that next version of you? Mm. Oh my God. I think it doesn't happen overnight, right? It's like, it's like conversations with yourself on a daily basis. Yeah. I think one of the things that I realized was in the time that I was still trying and doing the first round of, of infertility treatment, I started looking at myself in the mirror and I would literally, so I'm the type of person that I I've had so many mental health problems that I would take my fingernails and scratch them across my stomach. If it looked gross and harm myself because I was so ugly to me cutting, I mean, like starvation, uh, over exercising, I've done it all. Like, I would look at myself physically. And I would say, okay, and you're trying to have a child. And let's just say that's a daughter. How can you talk to yourself this way, knowing that one day she'll have this tiny little body that you made, and she will look at her mom and think she's the most beautiful thing in the world. And you have to believe that, or else you will make her feel the same way about herself yeah and she doesn't exist but it doesn't matter she needed to exist for me to heal myself finally yeah um and it just it was like this moment of you 
you already think, like you said, you think your body is failing you and, and it kind of is right. And you have to have faith in whatever it is that you believe in. Like if it's God, cool. If it's a tree, cool. If it's a doorknob, cool. Friends, great. The universe, it doesn't matter. Right. But you have to have faith that you're, you're here for a purpose and that your purpose isn't just to obsess about how you look. Right. That's not why you were created. And it's just, it's, it, it's the least interesting thing about you is what you look like in your, in your Amazon workout set, right. Yeah. Or, or your Lululemon leggings. Like it's the least interesting thing about you. And the more that you get to know people that really, really love you, the more you'll see how true that is. And that ties right back into social media and why it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because yeah. the real people that love you won't love you if you gain 25 pounds or if yeah. you don't, right? A hundred percent. You just step into it. And I, I think for me, that helped. For me, it was thinking about my daughter that may or may not exist. And how can I teach her to love herself? Because I remember being a really small girl, like probably maybe even eight or nine years old and punishing myself with gymnastics practice because I wasn't small enough. And that's crazy. You're a child. Yeah. You know, and then I, I remember being in sixth grade and starving myself already in sixth grade yeah. um, because, you know, this, the, or thinking and telling my mom that my butt needed to look different because this girl, Casey, she had this really good butt because she went through puberty and I did it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We're so aware of our body image so early in life. And, so early on. Yeah. And people don't, I don't think we realize that as the women that are criticizing ourselves, how aware people are around us like our kids our boys are aware our girls are aware it's you won't you wouldn't catch me now that I'm so aware of it you wouldn't catch me saying anything in front of my nieces or in front of anybody about my body and I I like adamantly try I worked so hard I I think I don't think body issues ever go away body images Mm -hmm. ever they always come up they're always triggered by different things even things that you're going through right now, you think that you've gotten over them and not, but I adamantly try to, when I walk into a room of women now, I don't compliment people on the way that they look. You don't hear right. me talking about diets and carbs and things because we spend our whole lives talking about these things. And it's understanding yeah. that our worth is so much deeper than that. And I think that's a really cool thing that you just said is that like your yeah. body is, is the least interesting thing about you. And it's starting to recognize that and also starting to have these conversations too with yourself, with women, with people around you. Yeah. And one more thing that I think of too is, is the concept of you can accept yourself for who you are today with still having goals to improve yourself, right? That is so foreign to somebody with a bodybuilding background, with a, you know, with a eating disorder background to think, okay, the thing is, is I can accept myself today as this beautiful person with with still being able to set goals for myself, like I'm still more comfortable in my body smaller. I just am. And so I can now go and do my workout, having a goal to get back to that place. I just don't have to hate myself in the meantime. I can wear the shorts and I cannot go and look at myself and turn around and be like, Oh, gross. Your legs are sick. Instead, just put on the damn shorts and just go. And then guess what? Eat the ice cream and then go to the workout. And if you want the margarita, drink the margarita and don't punish yourself because you're actively working towards a better version of you while still loving the shit out of you. It's okay. We can do both. A hundred percent. We used to think that self-love was like, I'm going to love myself at this size, but really it's saying I'm going to love myself at any size, but that doesn't mean we we don't want to improve ourselves. That doesn't mean we can't want better for ourselves. It's just Mm -hmm. like 
saying that like, I'm not going to hate my, you cannot hate your body into loving your body. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we are so conditioned too. So the, the other thing that I want to say to people is that you're not a bad person for feeling the way that you feel about yourself. You are literally taught to feel that way about yourself. Everything around you teaches you to feel that way. Our culture is obsessed with body type and shape and face and makeup and hiding parts about us that are really normal, like after Yeah. And so if you feel, you know, bad about that, it's okay, but you got to just stop that narrative, like pivot. I've started pivoting it right where I, I will walk in front of a mirror and I did it today at my workout at Foundry. I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, God, you're gross. And I said it out loud. And then I turned around and was like, okay, nope, we are not speaking to ourselves that way. Like yeah. you're, you're not gross. You're just not starving anymore. You're just not uh, tired anymore. You're just not, you know, because it's exhausting to keep that shape that I had for a really long time. And then when I finally didn't have it, you know, or when I didn't have to feel exhausted about it, who knows? Maybe it was a fluke. I don't know, but yeah. we're just not going to serve ourselves those lies anymore. We're not going to co-sign our own bullshit anymore. We're, we're living in our truth. And that is it. That is it. Uh. I love that so much. I feel like I, we, we can't even follow that up with anything better because that was the <laughs> this out. Oh, I'm I, over here sweating because it's so emotional, but I'm passionate no, about it. You're passionate. I, I'm waiting for your podcast to come out. Really? Oh my truly, gosh, really? I am because so, your story is amazing. The things you say are amazing. Your vulnerability is. And like, to be honest, I think you're doing people a disservice by not having um, a, a podcast. Cause like, you're just, you're you, what you say just resonates so much. Thank you. I need to hear that too. You yeah. ever just know, you need a little bit of like, truth. yeah, it's that mm-hmm. hard love. I live for that hard love. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm waiting for it for sure. <laughs> well, All right. thank you so much for being on and just thank sharing you. your story with everybody. Tell any of the listeners where they can find you. Yes. So you can go to my empty ass Instagram. Something <laughs> will be there soon. It's Danny underscore Dudek. So D-A-N-I underscore D-U-D-E-K. I I'm on there sometimes. Like right now I'm really doing a big cleanse. I've just got a lot of moving parts happening in my life. And also I'm not going to share them. So that's really weird too. Like I'm allowed to keep things private to myself now. And I, I didn't really ever realize that. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be back there eventually, but I still love to connect. So Awesome. Well, I will put all of her info in the show notes. And Danny, thank you so much for being on. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me. Love you, girl. Love you. If you vibe with this episode, I would love to hear from you. You know what Crying Burns Calories, we are all about community and connection and just changing the conversation about life for women. So if this episode was helpful for you, I would love if you could tag me, share it on your Instagram stories so I can thank you and also so we can just continue to get the message out and growing this amazing community.